1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sarah Heath, and my other co-host is Justin Gentry. We'll introduce ourselves a little bit later, but I get the awesome job of getting to introduce our guest this week, which is Cortland Coffee. And if you don't know Cortland's work, he is one of the co-hosts of Thereafter with Megan Crozier, who we had on a couple weeks ago. Normally, we ask our guests, hey, like, how is it that you want to be introduced? And Cortland said, I really have no preference. I, I really don't mind how I am perceived. And I think that actually has a little bit to do with the story that Cortland will share with us. I will give you a little bit of a trauma activation, potentially, for some of you that might have grown up in some coercive control situations. We don't get into too many of the details, but this is a story about what does it mean and how do you get out of being in uh, what some would consider a cult. And so uh, with no further ado, I think this is a great conversation and one that really talks about how do we reconcile our past with our present and indeed our future. So Cortland, thank you so much for being on the show. This is a great conversation. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah, and my co-host is... Justin. <laughs> Justin Gentry. I'm here. Good it to have me. you here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm awake. I promise. You're here. We are a podcast, if you aren't aware. I'm sure you are aware because you hit play, but we're a podcast that helps folks think through transition, whether you're leaving ministry, whether you're leaving being a big-time volunteer, whether you're transitioning how it is that you see uh, your life and work within we're outside of the church community. We are really glad that you joined us this week. We have our friend Cortland this week, who has an incredible story. Yeah, Hi. that's yeah. overselling it already. You've already old, oversold it. Uh, <laughs> incredible story. It is. So, it is. It is. It is. It's, it's a good story. So usually we start kind of like asking, "How long were you in?" And it sounds like prison. For you, it's probably closer to the truth than I know. For others. I know. And we were going to yeah. get into that. So, um, so yeah. How long were you in ministry, and uh, what were you in? Yeah, share for? a little. Yeah, share a little bit about <laughs> what yourself. Were you in for? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's I. I almost always used to say like ten years, but it's it is it's kind of a confusing number because I like the ministry kind of fell apart, and I was still stuck within this like kind of like post ministry organization with these other people that I was in ministry with that was kind of an extension of the ministry after the death of the ministry. It was like an after death ministry situation. So, and that extended to almost 10 years, actual ministry, probably closer to like seven years. And that started when I was 17. So again, it's kind of like the numbers trying to like really nail down where that was, um, that, 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 that started. I grew up always being super involved in ministry. I, I went to my pastor when I was like in like fourth grade and was like, I want to do what you do. And, and, and kind of saw myself as in ministry training from the very beginning. And the pastor was like, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish had he been it, like it's funny because we connected later in life and he was also post-ministry and and but at the time uh he was like really yeah nice. this is great you should do this it's nice when that happens i'll be honest i um i did go back to some of the folks that i mentored later and i was like hey i'm sorry about that because <laughs> they came in and they've had great experiences in ministry and we laugh about it but i was like you know it must be kind of weird to have your mentor then leave. And I, again, left under different circumstances than most in that I left under pretty good. I left in a pretty good situation. So it was different. But um, yeah, sometimes you wonder like, what advice did I give people? How good did I make it look? Did I make it look too good? Did I make it look too like fulfilling? You know? 
so right. that a was, fourth was, grader would come and was ask. Was I lying or did I believe this? Like, was it a what little bit happening? of both? <laughs> what? How? I mean, why is this? Yeah. So you went. Uh, you started at seventeen, and you were very involved in a community. And you say it kind of fell apart. Um, you want to talk a little bit about a the community you were a part of and what falling apart looked like. Sure. Yeah. We just we will start there at the end and then work our way back like a Tarantino movie. Is that yes. like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do it because okay. it is like a Tarantino movie. If we're honest <laughs> about what you've experienced, it's several people dead, strung across yes. a, a, a building in the middle of nowhere. Swords. Um, yeah, I don't know what else a Tarantino mm-hmm. movie. I've I've only seen Kill Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I walked out of Kill Bill, which is a whole other story. But keep going. I think he's a great director. That movie. Just volume one me. or volume two. One. I don't remember. <laughs> so yeah, so so fall apart. It had fallen apart like several times. If I if I had to kind of like explain the like pattern of the particular ministry that I was a part of for my you know seventeen to twenty six year old life, it was uh, like kind of the model was like overpromise, underdeliver, blame somebody else, move <laughs> somewhere else. that was the business plan (laughs) yeah so it was always this like really big grandiose vision we're gonna plant this thing it was a church planter kind of uh uh first approach with these really big aspirations and we went through several iterations in several different parts of town trying to kind of get the right combination of sucker to kind of like go in with us on whatever this dream was that we had Hypothetically, this just feel the. This feels just like regular church planting to me, based <laughs> on my experience of church planting. Yeah, so, yeah. So it was big and bold. Was it uh, connected to a denomination, or was it a non-denominational experience? We were not connected to a denomination. Totally independent. Um, if if in terms of like, I guess like the the vibe, like what was the Mars Hill one? What was the X twenty nine, kind of maybe the vibe. So um, like we were, super sexy musicians. We were part of the Willow Creek Association. Yes, okay. So we kind of like Bill Hybels was the apostle of like kind of like our uh, okay. like we we saw him as like one of our church fathers. He's he's come out great. He's a, <laughs> yeah, not, like, not a complicated <laughs> legacy at all. If you are listening, you're like, why is she laughing so hard? Bill Hybels, uh, it was revealed. Give it a Google. He was he was pretty seriously abusive in in multiple in many many ways. Yeah. Who yeah. Who could have seen that coming? Who could not have seen that coming? Mm-hmm. So so the very end of it was we had gotten to this place where we had over leveraged ourselves to just like the nth degree. We had bought like a million and a half dollars worth of land in the mountains outside of Denver, Colorado. We had committed pretty major fraud to do that. Um, <laughs> we had. I like gone, how you just said that, like so. And we committed fraud, so it was great. Yeah, we had gone deeply into debt with several big projects, renting buildings, signing long-term leases that we ended up having to like basically leave. People were lots of people were after us for lots of money. Like, like the most hilarious aspect of this is like, we were still trying to do church, like in like an outdoor setting. At one point we bought a giant circus tent and put it up on our land because we literally had been kicked out of every building that we had ever rented because we owed so much money and we're doing church in a circus tent in the Rocky mountains. Um, I feel like it's a winter. new low when like the creditors are knocking on the door and you're like, but there's no door. It's canvas. we're going to, we're going to buy back. us a circus tent. <laughs> like when the most, when the thing that makes the most sense to you is buying a circus tent, you know, you're in deep. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. And the moment when you have to pretend you're not in the tent, like you're behind canvas, there's no closed door. <laughs> no one's home. Go away. <laughs> no one's here. So, so that was, so financially, like it was a giant house of cards and it had and it had fallen apart. Uh, and then staff wise are there was a ton of just like uh, infidelity, sexual abuse, various mm. other like deeply disturbing things that were happening abuse wise among staff and connected people to staff. So that kind of resulted at the very end. We had gotten kicked off the land of 
big chunk of us were living in, the compound. <laughs> Wait, you were living not in the yeah, circus we, tent, obviously. But we were not were, living in the circus tent, but, we, but on that land. Maybe I should hold have that said obviously. obviously. <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say, hold that obviously, obviously Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> we have not reached the... I've been watching too many podcasts on cults lately, guys, because all I can think about is like, wait, you were all living together? Yeah, yeah. So there was a big chunk of us that were living at this compound. There was a big chunk of us that were living at another compound that we had leased that was like kind of on the other side of town. And... And we basically got evicted from both of those properties at the same time. So we we got evicted from both those properties. We had another piece of property that we had kind of leased and that had like it was a friend of somebody who was an elder in our church. And they were basically giving us a deal and not like enforcing that we pay rent. And so pretty much everyone who was involved in the staff of that church at that point, minus the people who had left because of various different infidelities and abuse uh, allegations and et cetera, all moved into this, this, what was a formerly a dog daycare. And so (laughs) I think this, I, that's the that's this is the end of the story. So this is I know I knew some of this story before, but it's like it's just new flavors. Like this is so hold on. Yeah. So like we've got two places that we're living, and then there's a third that becomes available, but it's an old doggy daycare. I've seen this horror film. It's not good. And there's also a circus tent. And this This is is not like you you've been doing this since you were 17. Yeah. So you got you get connected to this church. This has kind of been happening over and over. I, I want you to finish the story, but I, then I want us to roll into like, at what point did you realize something was up? Because I think this is like a common thread. And in all of our stories, honestly, whether they're kind of crazy or even normal, there's a point where you realize like, wait a second. Like, and then once you kind of ask that question, it's like it all opens up. So I guess maybe yeah. finish where you're at. And then I want us to kind of pivot there. It was unfortunately not until like very, very late that I realized yeah. like, oh, this is very abnormal. Cortland, this is the Rev Recovery Podcast. It's all <laughs> it's all four people that realized a little bit too late. So yeah, yeah. it's fine. Well, I think to in your defense, I think the idea of living all living together, if if you think about that, for many of us, there is that biblical like ideal. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we could all share our resources. I've seen it done really well in things like the Rupa House and places like that, right? So I think we have those ideals that aren't as crazy sounding. Uh, and so we're like, oh, that's just what we're doing. And then very slowly, or not even very slowly, but it, it morphs into something a little bit different where all of a sudden no one's paying their bills. And we end up mm-hmm. with no equity. And we end up trying to figure out how to move beyond something when we've literally had our needs taken, our actual needs taken care of. And you're sort of stuck. So you're you're take us to the to the dog daycare. Yeah. So so like we had continued to sell this con. We still had some people. The 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 leader, and I want to try to not make it too much about him because the leader, senior pastor, the main guy, my mentor. He, I mean, he could be very easily the villain in this story, and we could do a whole you know Netflix type of thing. But I I just. I'm not quite comfortable making that all about him. And so, but he was still like selling this, this idea like, oh, we're going to, we're going to come back. Now we're going to do this, you know, uh, new thing uh, because that whole thing blew up and now we're going to do this new thing. So we got someone to give us a bunch of money to help build out little living areas in this old warehouse. And it was my family and another family and kind of like two partial families that were all living in this place, but there was no kitchen. There was no, there was one shower in like a little apartment unit on the back of the building, but there was no accessible shower for, for us to use, for our family to use. So we had, it was me and my wife and my son at the time, who was my son at the time, my son who at the time (laughs) was, was, was like, I don't know, four, um, three, four, something like that. And we would like go to the rec center and shower and that sort of oh, thing. And goodness. then we would like 
do you know dishes in the, you know the bathroom sink there and like we were basically squatting in this building because it wasn't like a building people were supposed to be living in and so like we had to have all of our things where we could like stack them up or set them up and look, make it look like storage because it was not a building that people should have been living in not zoned um, for people to live in yeah mm-hmm. and so we were basically squatting in this building mm-hmm. and we had no money and we had no sustainable way to get anywhere from there and that was kind of the point where i was like oh this is this is this is not (laughs) we're not not going to come back from this Mm -hmm. like this is we're basically unhoused at this point which Um, is such a scary thought to think that um all of a sudden all the things because it's almost like that summer camp feeling like as you're describing it at first i'm like oh yeah i've worked for a summer camp where we stayed in bunk houses that weren't supposed to be bunk houses, you know, and, and that mm-hmm. would be fun for maximum max. We also didn't have four-year-old children, but I think there is that, how would I put it? Almost like that, that sense that we're willing to let go of some of the like niceties because like, Oh, I, I don't need these luxuries, a luxury, by the way, of a bath with a four-year-old. Anyone who has children knows that that's like, mm-hmm. that's an important time, right? The um, putting your child to bed and all that sort of stuff. And so what did that feel like? And then how did you get out of it? Like Cortland, that's all you've known. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, it was, so I got involved in this early on at 17. And at that point in time, it was very cool, right? Like at that Mm -hmm. point in time, this group was living in this old house in downtown Denver. It was like an old Victorian house. It had like six bedrooms, uh, only one shower <laughs> again. Um, this but is it a had, theme. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. It had lots of bedrooms and it was, you know, and there was a lot of us. There was like 30 some of us at that point. Whoa. So there was like at least four young couples. There was a family with one toddler and then a family with three young kids and then several single guys and a couple single girls all living which- in this house. Which I I don't know the time frame, but like you know, like Shane Claiborne's writing about right. all this and his. This was you know, two thousand seven, so this yeah, was so this like is, right when all that's happening. Yeah, so it's like, oh yeah, we're just, we're doing that thing, you know. This is the thing we're doing, and maybe at that time it was like that, but it sounds like it just it went south or or very quickly. Yeah, that's and what so I mean. Like I mean, that- there are intentional communities that uh, have a different vibe, that have a a good centered community centered focus but we're not and it sounded like that like as i'm hearing you talk about it's 2007 uh uh, i would sign up for that i would have signed up for that in a second without realizing it yeah and so like at 17 i was coming out of an environment so i had grown up in a super fundamentalist kind of southern baptist culture and had kind of like shaken off of that variety of I was like that's not for me I kind of went through like a deconstruction of sorts in like 2004 2005 reading you know like Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo and you know like these guys who were like oh the church is this more radical thing and seeing you know the new monastic movement and mission year and you know I was following people like Matthew Paul Turner at the time you know, had written Coffeehouse Gospel and Relevant Magazine had Relevant Publishing was out at that time. Yeah. And it was this kind of like mm-hmm. new radical. It was such a cool time to be a Christian. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes, guys. Yeah. We looked great. Like yes. that was before we knew invisible children were problematic. I mean, exactly. we, yeah. we yes. just, we were shoeless. We were making our own clothes. We were, and mm-hmm. I was at uh, Duke Divinity at the time. So I was the Rupa House, which I, I, I don't actually, I haven't followed it in a really long time, but they were a big part of the new monastic movement and they were doing incredible things for racial reconciliation, anti-racism, um, helping those unsheltered. Like it was the ideal. And I think so many people looked at that. I know I did. Although I do remember, I, you know, I said I would have signed up. I do remember having that moment where I was like, you have one bath. <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned <laughs> the one shower. And I, and I thought, huh. Huh, I was in a sorority. I don't know that I want to do that again. <laughs> I bet Jesus would have had two bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. I think so. Yeah, so I just want to assure you, Cortland, that you weren't weird for 
going into it. Yeah. So I had been re- like I had been. Do you remember the Jesus radicals? Like, did you ever follow like mm-hmm. uh, Jesus you know, People the- USA? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the Salters were traveling around in their big black school bus playing shows with Me Without You, um, and they were dumpster diving and hopping trains, and, like, that was the energy of my 16-year-old self. And we liked the music, too, that kind of fits as well, Cortland. That's what we were listening to. Exactly, exactly. So there was this, there was this, when I signed up to be a part of this group and moved out to Denver at 17. I had dropped out of school at 16, moved into an apartment with some buddies in Kansas City, and then didn't like the environment of living with three other high school dropouts and, you know, the people smoking weed in my house all the time, people hooking up in my bed, coming home to bong water spilled over everywhere. Oh, no. Um, that was kind of like what I was like. I was like, okay, I had gotten out of my household. I had gotten out of this, like what I thought was like this kind of Christian fundamentalism household. And I was now free and in this like young teenage, you know, punk rock phase. And I didn't like that. And and that was, I was like a perfect candidate for somebody to be like, come join our cult. <laughs> like perfect <laughs> candidate. Well, yeah. And I think uh, a piece, I didn't mean to interrupt you and make you move beyond it, but you said you grew up fundamentalist. So you grew up or, or with a fundamentalist slant in your family. So you're running away from that as well. Like you're you're trying to find uh, your own grounding without a sense of like normalcy in some ways, right? So like it makes sense that you swing between the extremes to end up with like, oh, I don't, I, I recognize being around all these people that also have dropped out. And this isn't the way I want my life to go. Oh, this thing looks really shiny. And it looks like the thing that we talk about, like the radicalness of, you know, with Tony Campolo talked about, right? Like we can, we can do this thing. We can heal the world. We can heal each other. And when you've, you're trying to do something good, right? You're trying to be good. Yeah. And then it was this like very slow indoctrination into, you know, this, this world of evangelicalism and church planting and church growth and being around a ton of people who were like, trying to build we idolized these stories like bill hybels you know and the the sunny what did they call their youth group there was like a youth group that bill was leading and it had like some sunshine youth or something was yeah, like the yeah. name sunshine happy fun times or something I don't know. <laughs> like, and and yeah. and they were like okay they were like all you know bill and all these young kids again in retrospect it's like Oh, man, the red flags. But like Bill and all these young kids were like, you know, starting this radical thing that is now this multi-billion dollar world changing powerhouse. They have a water slide at their church. Like, that's just like, just get ready for that, you know? Well, like, (laughs) and also like that, that, well, that era too of church planning, I would say like from like maybe 2005 to even, you know, 2015 was like, everyone thought they were going to be the next Bill Hybels. Mm-hmm. And like it, it kind of creates this weird environment where like you'll kind of do anything to be the next Bill Hybels. It's like, like a tech startup. Like everyone looking at Steve yeah. Jobs, but it's Bill Hybels, and it, you're, you're, yeah, and you're and like, that's where Hillsong you know, comes from, and that's where I guess, all the I guess we'll people. sleep in the church if if at the end we're Bill Hybels. Like you know, like we'll we'll do all the things, you know, if it's going to get us the result for Jesus, of course. Um, a thousand but, percent. That was yeah, what it totally. was. Totally. You know, but like it's it is a weird kind of thing where you're like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll sacrifice, for, you know, and then like, I mean, I when I went church planning, I was like kind of squatting in someone's house for a while, you know, that had moved away. And like they were like, yeah, sure, you can stay there. And then they're like, oh, yeah, maybe we're going to need you to do rent. And they were like, mm, actually, we want to sell the house, you know, so it's like you, know, but you kind of do things that you're like. Yeah, that doesn't make any kind of sense at all, but um, it's for the Lord. So, and and it's and, and it's being blessed. So, yeah, I. I but it I wasn't being sure. blessed. If, as you were looking around, Cortland, the the writing was on the wall, right? You were saying you're kind of like, okay, this isn't what I want for my family. At this point, you're responsible and in partnership with someone else. You're responsible for a child together. And how did you how did you make the break? It was very slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because we didn't have, you know, we had we had basically cut off our families. We didn't have any formal education. I was a high school dropout. My wife, who is still my wife to this day, she was homeschooled. We were both homeschooled kids. So it's like you're, you know, homeschool, high school dropout, no college education. You know, your entire resume is, you know, being a part of a cult for seven years. Uh <laughs> You know, there's there's some mm-hmm. translatable skills there that you could be like really good with people, you know, like, I don't know, like I don't, <laughs> really good in tight situations. Uh, I with don't know. Law enforcement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Can can live uh, uh, very invisibly. Um, yeah. Uh, we joke around about the idea that sometimes it feels like when you're rewriting your resume, um, some of our folks that we have had these conversations with, it does feel a little bit like you're trying to translate cultish behavior into business speak. But I would argue, having worked a little bit in corporate and then dealt with startups, they're a little bit like a cult. <laughs> like It's a little bit like you actually, some of the people that start tech companies are, I mean, look at Elon Musk, no offense, don't come at me tech bros. But there is that like very cultish, like there's a, a very central leader. They make big promises under like, you know, the big promises and then under what's the, what did you say? Oh my gosh, why can I not speak English? They're unable to actually um, produce what they say they're going to produce. Yeah, they can't um, deliver. Thank like, you, deliver is the word. Under anybody deliver. who wa- watched like the WeWork documentary, yes, like, yes, like that is that is what we did, right? So like, right. and this is what I say, like going into this interview, I told you guys like you're gonna have to steer me because there's like a billion different directions we could go about things that we did that were like this combination of evangelistic efforts and then also like ways to like create like commit tax fraud essentially so like like we started a coffee shop slash you know restaurant we started a driving school we actually like got a state approved curriculum to teach driver's education as a scheme to like reach kids in the community and build our youth group and make money for the ministry and funnel like raise donations so that we could get people to donate money for the curriculum for buying cars etc we started a u-haul dealership so that we could be the first people that people moving to our community see when they come uh and they move and they drop off their u-haul truck we started a restaurant we started a publishing company we had a brief media company effort that we and all of these things we would like raise funds. It was always like you got to get people to invest with this like spiritual spin, but it was really just a, a cash grab, to be honest. But like we personally, those young people who were involved in it, we were really sold on this. These things are going to change the world. We're going to use these vehicles of business um innovation to like reach people for the mission i was a big true believer are you having like church services during this time too like is the like yes we're also doing the weekly you know seeker friendly service with like trying to make media and create you know engaging you know creative big you know smoke machine light you know show type of services well that's the thing too is i i can't (laughs) I really think your story is a huge part based on and really within the way that this Christian culture shift was happening that kind of felt really good, right? Like it was almost like um, we want to get away from like the big steeple churches, right? We want people, you know, like there was, you know, the all the different bands that were having huge shows out on fields and like, ah, oh, but it's just like real and it's raw and people are doing doing life together. Right. Um, and so it, your story, it is, it's like, it's just a hair off of what we were all being taught in growth things. You know, you go to catalysts and you hear about skateboarding ministries and you're like, what I can skateboard for the Lord. Like all these things, like, of course you'd start a media company and, and all the different company ideas that we had to create something. And, and it wasn't necessarily in a bad, the intentions, I'm not saying your leader's intentions were great, but the intentions of those who are doing the the on the ground work is actually hoping to like make people like when you're meeting people who are moving into a community, I bet half the people were thinking, oh, you know, it's really hard to move. This is going to be an opportunity for people to find what we think is a healthy community. 
and that's like just like I, I just watched the Netflix uh, thing on uh, Twin Flames mm-hmm. and the Twin Flames cult. Uh, and, yes, that's a, and that's and fun. what the intention, what you're saying makes a lot of sense because it's filling that need that a lot of that that kind of stuff fills, which is like oh, people are lonely. It's an epidemic, and we've got a an, an interesting and creative way of fulfilling that. And for those of us that maybe didn't fit into the steeple church, here's an opportunity. And then it goes south. And then you realize, like you said, we're just, I, I can't help but think of uh, Arrested Development, like just a little bit of tax fraud. <laughs> just, yeah. just a little. Well, and the justification, right? Like, like I, one of the most, like, I think life-changing things for me coming out of this, which I still haven't kind of gotten to, and you asked Justin, and I apologize, but like. Oh, you're fine. Um, like, like now looking back is like the way so I was so idealistic and so obviously young and naive going into this. And then the way that I slowly justified more and more dishonesty and more mm. and more, I get why people, like why these people who are running these big farces of ministries, like get to that point where they're essentially fleecing people for their money and it feels like just, you know, just raw, unadulterated greed. And in, in many cases it is. But I get why people justify it early on and how that's a very slow process of, I remember my leader coming to me, for instance, and like, we, I, again, I was a believer and like, this is what we're doing is you know, I heard the voice of God tell me that we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be reaching these people, whatever it might be. Right. I believed so much in the mission. And then I remember him coming to me and saying like, Hey, people are losing hope. You know, people are losing hope. We're behind on this project. And so like we have, he gave me this money to put in the mailbox at our compound. And he was like, I want you to put it in there. And then we're going to pray that God would come through. And then we're going to go down and we're going to open the mailbox and there's going to be this money that's there and it's going to be an answer to prayer. And we would manufacture these things. And I justified that like, sure, I'll be a part of basically lying to people about God showing up because I believed God really wanted to show up and we just needed to help get people to believe that. Mm. And so if we could manufacture a miracle we could get people to believe. And if, if people really believed, then God really would show up and then we would see things change. And then you all of a sudden now you're just a liar. Yeah. You're complicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're part of it. But you have to believe that like, that's justified. Like I'm justifying it because there's a greater good that's, that's going to come from it. And that's such a slow process of mm-hmm. being, sucked into this machine that's like well too many people are relying if we don't get people to believe and we don't get people to give then this whole thing's going to fall apart everyone who's given their lives to this are going to lose everything and so like it's my responsibility to keep everything afloat and going oh it's that um the idea of uh, i've already given so much it's like the idea that mm-hmm. if i just keep giving eventually this investment is going to pay off but then you realize, okay, but I've now I've given so much. Eventually, this is going to pay off. Well, we are going to take a brief break, <laughs> and then uh, we are going to come back because obviously there's a lot to unpack here, Corland. <laughs> I uh, I laugh because it makes me nervous, but if there is a lot to unpack. <laughs> me too. <laughs> All right, we'll take a brief break, and we'll be back soon. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Thanks, everybody, for enjoying that little break. So, Cortland, um, so all this has happened. There's that this feels like the, this feels like we're at the point in the Netflix documentary where like the they start doing like the somber like music and it's like, you know, 
B-roll footage of you walking by some like urban pond or something. Yeah, um, that didn't happen. And, we only had one shower. I would have thought the music started then. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, but so we're at the point where this, this music is playing. And then and then now it's like, OK, what was you've had this kind of like, I've got my kids. We've got one shower. We're, you know, like it, and you, you make the shift from like we're in ministry we're to money. we're homeless. Yeah. Like we're what happens? What happens now? Yeah. So there was several times throughout that we had been in like just these very extreme situations of like living in, I lived in unfinished garages and basements and tents and, you know, <laughs> lots of mm. different things. And this was like, I had lost belief in like the mission, right? Like I didn't feel like I, I had pretty much officially broken up with God. And. Oh, interesting. There, did you have something? No, I was just that. No. Sorry. I made a face. Um, I, Just interesting that like, Part of it, too, was you were still in the midst of this really high investment situation and you're no longer invested in the overall like what you're doing this. Like I firmly believed that like the divine had like physically told me to be there and doing these things like Mm -hmm. I was a like a huge believer in like the divine calling that I had to be there. And that made justifying lots of things very easy. Lots of Mm -hmm. uh, really terrible things that I was complicit in, lots of things that I was experiencing, that I was seeing people experience, justifying a lot of abuse and things that were happening around me because there was this this divine purpose and this reason for me to be, you know, there and and kind of like what Sarah said, this sunk cost. Like I had invested my whole life in this thing at that point. And so we ended up getting evicted from that building. We were all we all kind of spread out. We didn't have a lot of people around us, but there were like a few older couples that were still kind of under the spell of this leader that was our you know senior pastor leader visionary person and and they were still believers in him and and again this mission and whatever and so i kind of had to continue this like this like i didn't believe it anymore but i had to continue to like kind of sell that there was you know we were going to rise from the ashes so to speak and we were going to have this whatever all the stuff that had happened to us was going to be some part of our story that would would make our our ministry our impact even greater in the future somehow we were going through this struggle again i had stopped believing personally and this is where it got hard because like i had to like before i would lie but i i didn't it didn't feel like lying because i believed in what mm-hmm. i was selling mm-hmm. and now i was like i don't believe it anymore but like, I literally don't have anywhere to live if you don't take me in. And I don't think you're going to take us in if you don't think that we're still pursuing, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord. Oh, it just has so many implications. Yeah, A, a yeah. parsonage will do that to you, too. Like, <laughs> so, Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like your livelihood, right? Like, well, we're going to be on the street yeah. or we're going to continue to believe in. Yeah, this this isn't just my job. This is my home. This is my family's home, you know, even if it's not like a. A secure situation. It's like, well, it's something. So, so we moved into a room, a basement room of with an older couple who had been very invested in our son's life, and had kind of been like adoptive grandparents to him, so to speak. They took him a lot and like kind of like treated him like their own kind of grandkid. And they let us move into their basement. We lived there for a while, and with them and. There was a couple who was an older retired couple who had, you know, been big funders of the ministry up into that point, who had a business that they, you know, needed help with. And we had all of these skills from doing all of these failed businesses that were part of our ministry. You know, I knew how to build a website. I knew how to do social media. We knew how to do videos and media and photos. And they were like, would you guys kind of like come on board and, you know, we can like use this business to kind of get you guys back up on your feet. And that just became the next con, right? Like, so the, the, these poor people (laughs) lost 
everything because their business got basically mm. taken by our group that did the same thing we did with everything else. We overpromised, underdelivered, blamed somebody else, you know, the, the classic con. But that business gave me a place to get a little space, um, gave me a little bit of pay. Up until that point, I had never been paid a dollar. Like we never, we did not, we did not get paid, right? So like technically, according to the US government, um, that entire, my entire adulthood up until 26, I made $0 and was on, you know, Medicaid and food stamps and SNAP and, and, and we did not get paid money. We would be given food or money to like do certain things, but it was like very all controlled by the leader of this group. And so when we started, you know, helping with the business, this business, they started paying a small amounts. We were making, Crystal and I were making, I think like, I don't know, like $1,500 a month or something like that at first. And that was like life changing for us. Like that was like, we could buy wow. groceries or we could like, you know, I don't know you know, we bought a car and like, you know, like mm -hmm. we got an apartment eventually and we were still working with all of these people. The leader of, you know, the former church was kind of running this business, stealing this business, sadly, from this kind of poor old couple who had offered it as a lifeboat for us. And yeah, I spent about a year in that business until I finally had the other relationships and the network or the personal network to be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. And even then it was, it was, it was pretty tough because what would end up happening was anybody who left would become the person who was the cause of whatever was happening. Right. So like, you know, we're going to, you know, back in the church days, right? We're going to do this uh, uh, thing. We rent out a building or we sign a lease for a building. We get a donor to give us $10,000 or $20,000 to do this. We spend that ten dollars or $20,000 paying off some debt from an old project that didn't go well. We can't then pay the bill for the new project that we just sold. The, you know, the donors, a staff member realizes, oh, this is unethical. They leave. And then we basically like low key run a whisper campaign to blame that leaving staff member and say they stole money oh, no. or they, they caused some issue to why this new venture mm -hmm. didn't work. So I yep. became that same thing, right? When I left, it was, oh, you know, the business is failing because Cortland, you know, stole a bunch of money or took clients or, you know, whatever. Um, and I knew that would happen. I knew that I would basically lose all relationship with all of the people involved in that when I decided to leave, which, which did happen. Mm -hmm. That's one of the pain points for most, like a common denominator with a lot of the stories we hear is like, you even stay a little bit longer because you know what will happen once you leave and you can't avoid it for a lot of these communities. Again, my story was very different. People were awesome and stayed in my life, but in a different way, for sure. I can't imagine how much longer you stay when it means losing everything you know, losing, even though they're really unhealthy relationships, losing unhealthy relationships is still a loss when, like you said, you're, you're for the first time learning how to like have money, which is like a, a, a thing that people, it's not a small thing to say, I, you know, for the first time we're making a salary and now we have to figure out like, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I, how do I pay taxes? What does that look like? How do I pay my rent? What does, what do you mean? I have to figure out gas and and electric and all that sort of stuff. Like when you've never been taught that, it is mm -hmm. a scary thing. And then to think you're losing all of your community, it makes sense why you stayed. Well, and there there had been several people who had come and gone throughout, you know, and and the worst part of I think leaving what would be like leaving all of these people in not only that you're going to leave them and they're not going to talk to you anymore, they're going to basically cut you off and think that you are this evil, like cause of some sort of problem in their life. But like you, you cannot, like we would have people leave and then write letters and be like, you're in a cult and you need to get out. And we would just be like, Oh no, like they're obviously like 
they're disgruntled because of all these bad mm-hmm. things that they did and all this, you know, there was, there was no way for them to get, to reach us. Like you just had to save yourself, you know, <laughs> like, mm. and at each person along the way who ended up leaving. Now I've reconnected with several of those people since, and it's been interesting because like the, the organization is no longer around. And that was um, going to be my actual next question. It's like, is it around, did you watch it blow up after you left? Um, did anyone face any sort of, you know, no. I need closure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I hate no. that at the end of Twin Flames are like, oh, and they're still around. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, that was yeah. a spoiler. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're like, they're if still you Google going. It, you'll see they're still it's going. Still up. Which, which is great because I need to find my Twin Flame. No, I'm just kidding. The, yeah, the, so so the business that that we were in ended up, I, I believe the guy, the the leader, I believe he raised somewhere close to like a million dollars or a million and a half dollars in investment, which was like totally fraudulently raised, ended up selling that to an investment company who like got totally fleeced. Those investors I've stayed somewhat in touch with, they ended up selling the business after that for like a loss. Um, and then mm. that guy ended up going and... I, I I don't I don't want to talk about wherever he's no he's no longer a person that's involved in anything that I think is a threat to anybody and nobody who I knew at the time is is involved with with him but there there a ton of people still got hurt after I left there was still a bunch of things that happened that hurt a lot of people um, mm-hmm. after leaving but I think that's pretty much cycled down at this point. What would you say to folks who are listening? to this story and going, wow, I, I can resonate. I might not be like, oh, I didn't commit tax fraud, but I, (laughs) but I can, I know what it's like to be in a high control situation or they have a family member in a high control situation. Cause you said something there that was really quite meaty and we ran by it pretty quick, which was like, no one from the outside could reach us. And we had to, and once we left, we couldn't reach those that were still in. And I think that's one of the most disheartening things you hear is like, you become so separated from other people for folks like what, what would you say is sort of a, I don't know, a sense of like for people who maybe they're watching a family member go through this, maybe they've come out of themselves. Like what has been grounding for you? What has been helpful? Cause it does sound like you've reconnected with some of these people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was two of the couples that were involved in this were over at my house today and we're still very close friends, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's like there is no you watch these documentaries. I don't know if you guys watch you mentioned Twin Flames. We just had mm-hmm. the the Mother God. Oh yeah. You guys watch the Mother God. It's my uh, next one. After the Great British Baking Show, I'm Mother Godding it. I, I didn't <laughs> and, watch that one. I watched Wild Wild Country and that was oh, okay. That one concerned me cuz I got 3 episodes in before I was like, "Oh, I couldn't do this." But it was a, like 3 episodes in. So I mm-hmm. I'm like a 3 episode cult member. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, so you watch these these things and it is like there is no way like if somebody truly believes like you just do your best to, you know, be there for people and realize that coming out of something like that, there's so much shame mm. from being involved in it. Mm-hmm. Like the things that I feel responsible and culpable for being involved in that are like, I will be unpacking things that I don't like about myself for the rest of my life, you know, that I didn't, I didn't catch. I didn't, you know, realize I uh, like the, the amount of harm that came. It's, it's really hard to come out of those organizations. And even for those Janice Legata, when she talked about who's the sexy Hillsong pastor who had a scandal in New York? Carl Lentz. Carl Lentz. I knew it, but I wanted Sarah <laughs> to jump in and say it. Did I visualize him when I said it? Maybe. Uh, yeah. I, I, I saw I saw the camera. I was like, I'm good. I could say Carl Lentz, but I want to give this to Sarah. I couldn't think of the like of uh sunk sunk cost. But I could think of Carl Lentz. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> it's fine. I, you know, I you thought of Carl at... Lentz's name before I usually think of my name. So <laughs> there's that. 
there's you're not wrong. There is there is obviously like this is not meant to like absolve him of responsibility and the harm that he caused but this is to say like he was a he 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 is a victim of this system that sucks people in to these machines like hillsong and like willow creek and like mars hill and like you know like all of these giant institutions acts 29 and Mm -hmm. you know and and you get sucked into this machine and it is miserable like it is miserable to be in that machine and there is so much shame to come to come out of that right and and you feel like well what now what do i do how do people we saw what happened with and again not to make these people victims but what happened with josh harris Mm -hmm. and like you know the backlash that he caught for good reason mm-hmm. when he was like slinging his, you know, deconstruction course or whatever, whatever. But also like, like this man is most likely like really feeling a lot of guilt and shame around and was basically groomed into this role as a right. very, very young person to be the spokesperson for this purity culture message. I mean, he was not like, he did not realize what he was doing at 19, 20 years old when he was being groomed to be this voice for purity. And I look back at my story and I feel like there's so there's there's so much shame. And I like that's really hard for people coming out of uh, especially abusive high control environments. Well, and that's kind of how it works as well, because then you've become involved in it. So you're complicit. And then it makes it one of the things I was very fascinated with 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 the twin flame stuff was making people coaches. And maybe I'm a little bit sensitive to that. We talked about that last week, but as someone who does do that sort of consulting and coaching work, and you realize that these people have so much guilt and shame for how they started slinging that themselves. And then there's like, I stopped believing in it, but I needed for my financial, you were sharing. And then that shame of that and knowing that they've, when they knew they were starting to harm people and so then they back away and there's there's all that guilt the people you leave behind and i think your story in a weird way not in a weird way i shouldn't have said in a weird way your story actually is one that is inspiring for people who have come out of it because i i see the ways that you have sought to be honest about um what you went through what you were a part of and give yourself and those involved some grace because there is nothing that isn't true about being groomed into something and participating in something. And I talk about this a little bit. I think sometimes men are, this is not to make excuses for the Carlinses and the Joshua Harris's, but I will say that we created them and told them that they didn't matter if they weren't an expert. Like you don't matter at all if you're not in the front saying the things that you need to say. And so then we're, we're both building you up but then creating like a very shaky ground. But at any moment you could lose it all because you need to be like, you need to be like up here doing the thing. And I think that's the high control that you experience where if you weren't participating in the thing and involved in the thing, everything would be gone. It was so shaky. And then how do you build a healthy sense of self out of that? And then how do you, how do you not have shame follow you around uh, or fear of like, I'm going to, get involved in this thing again. You know, I think it's fascinating to me that obviously this twin flames thing really hit me, but that some of the family members of people who are out, the people who are out won't talk about it, but their family members did. And they allowed their family members to, they were just like, I can't address it even that's how close it is to me. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And you, you, you see this with institutions who lose big leaders. So like, like, so Funny enough, during my time in this cult, evangelical church plant culture, we were somehow very good at like getting in rooms with people and connecting. I I once hung out with Bill Hybels in his boathouse for an interview that we did about um, Global Leadership Summit for Christianity Today. I became pretty good friends with Ted Haggard during this time. And this was post-scandal Ted Haggard. 
and did several events with Ted and, you know, several other kind of disgraced ministers. But you you look at like what continues to happen with organizations like New Life after Ted is gone and they still continue to be harmful institutions. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like this, like that's why I kind of like don't like to focus on this one particular guy who obviously was like the leader of my particular high control environment. And we could just say, Oh, it's just him. Like it's his fault. He's like the, you know, villain of the story, but it's these systems. It's these institutions that are in and of themselves breeding grounds for harm and abuse and high mm -hmm. control. And sure, these instruments like Brian Houston, but Brian Houston, you know, his dad started that whole thing. Right. He came along later. Carl Lentz came along later into the Hillsong machine, you know, the new life machine. Ted Haggard, you know, got excommunicated from Colorado Springs. There's a documentary that you can watch, Trials of Ted Haggard, on like his post-scandal situation where him and Gail had to go live in New Mexico or something like, but new life continues like, and, and that doesn't just getting rid of this one person is, does not fix these abusive institutions, these harmful institutions mm -hmm. that continue to run. It's not about just rooting out the bad apples. Institutionally, these systems are in and of themselves harming people. And we cannot make it about just, you know, getting rid of these particular, you know, that's like this SBC thing, right? It's not just about getting rid of these few people. The whole system is corrupt. The whole system is, well, is wired up to be harmful. And they're just making a list of those people too. They're not getting rid <laughs> they're not of even them. They're not even getting rid of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good it's, point. it's interesting. Like, I think it was, a. Uh, I think like Pete Rollins, like talked about these, like these things that are kind of like ghosts you know, people that leave, but they're still there. And mm. like when you can name the reality, they, they, you know, can become holy ghosts. They can become good things in your, but when you don't name them, when you shove them down, they just kind of become poltergeists that are just banging around, you know, and you're in the kitchen and like, you know, pots and pans are flinging around. And you're like, well, what's going on? You know, but it's like the system just keeps moving. And then, you know, people like once they wake up, they can choose to continue to participate or they can, you know, choose to I'm going to go back to sleep again. And and I'm sure Cortland, as you, if you're looking back, you're like, there was probably a series of awakenings. You know, there might have even been something way back when you were like 17, 18, where you're like, hmm, you're like, nah, I'll just keep going. You know, and we all do it. We've all done that, you know. And so like it's just eventually there's that one thing that finally it snaps. And then it's like, holy holy crap, I saw the whole thing the whole time. But it's when you're in that, when you're in the system, you know, like we're, we're not, we're not solitary animals. You know, we're, we belong in packs. We belong in groups. We're social creatures. Like, you know, humans will pair bond with anything, you know, like, so it's, it's interesting because it's like, you want to be like, you want to kind of name a person because it helps it make a little more sense. Like if it's like, Oh, this person was just really manipulative. And, but like, but no, actually like they were part of it too. And there was some kind of consciousness created amongst us that just was deeply unhealthy and hurt all of us. You know, just some were more culpable than others. And that's, I think that's a healthy way to look at it because in some ways it lets you exercise it too. Because then you get to be like, you, you you can be the perpetrator and ask for forgiveness and make amends. But you can also like rightfully take on the role of I was a victim of this, too. You know, and I think that's that's an important thing to an important journey to go on for sure. Yeah. And I think you're uh, you're right to critique a system versus just a person, um, because if we just critique a person. It is easy to say once they're gone. And like you say, it continues and we have to look at it and give ourselves um, some space and what like notice the things. And then I'm grateful for you telling your story, honestly, Cortland, because I think people need to hear that sometimes things that looked really good were, were just not, and it doesn't mean there aren't great things out there. It just means that uh, we have to keep our eyes open mm -hmm. and, and, and honesty and be honest with ourselves and others. And I think that's, something that we're watching happen quite a bit right now is that there's a reckoning of a, a lot, hopefully 
of some people getting really honest about, you know, religious settings that um, take advantage of people. And I think that's the one thing documentaries are doing a really interesting thing, which is hopefully highlighting some of the things that were in, were hidden and in the dark and not known. So I'm grateful for you for being willing to come on and share your story a little bit. I know there's so much, like I want to, there's so many questions I want to ask, but um, I'm grateful for you just even revealing this little part. Is there anything you want to share as sort of like a last, like, hey, whatever to our listeners? <laughs> and then we'll ask where folks can find you because you have a very interesting podcast that people can listen to and hear more, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And I don't talk about my story on no. the podcast or virtually anywhere. And it's, it is hard to talk about because I do feel like there's so much left out. And there's also still like so many people who were impacted that I still like haven't been able to mm. like I don't know where they're at you know I don't I mean mm -hmm. we we took hundreds of thousands millions of dollars probably from people and on top of just like the other harm and abuse and stuff just the financial abuse that that ended up happening and so it's yeah it's hard to know exactly how to talk about it <laughs> but I appreciate you giving me space to talk about it a little bit because I think, like you said, with these documentaries that we're seeing with more of us seeing friends and families being sucked up into extremist ideologies. I know my parents, mm -hmm. for instance, have become way more extreme in their homophobia, in their transphobia, mm -hmm. in their in their conservative ideals in the last few years you know like you know we were not i i look at my parents now and i'm like we weren't anti-vaxxers we weren't this homo i mean we were fundamentalists but we weren't this right. obsessed with trans people like what happened like obviously you've been sucked up into this cultural identity of extremism via you know new era trump politics but as we see people being sucked up into these things these these extremist you know views and groups it's important for us to like understand psychologically like how there is ways for them to to get out and mm -hmm. and think differently and not always be involved in in these mm -hmm. systems of harm and uh yeah there is a life um thereafter, thereafter. So i knew you were gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> Justin Perfect. was just like, I knew he was going to do it. And I just had to hop in. Perfect. So that, if you're wondering, that is the name of Cortland's uh, podcast that he does. Uh, and it is uh, with Megan, actually, who we've also had on the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. Thereafter is the name of the podcast. And you want to give a little bit of a background on what Thereafter is about? Yeah, I mean, it's it is it's evolved kind of over time, but it was my... So like after kind of getting out of this whole this whole thing, I spent a couple of years just not thinking about anything religious related. Uh, just like I said, I needed a couple of years of smoking weed and sitting on my couch and and not, you know, thinking about church or ministry or anything. And then I began, you know, finding accounts and listening to some podcasts and realizing like there's still a big piece of me. I'm I identify as an atheist, um, but I'm one of the weirdest atheists you'll ever meet because I still love theology and Christianity and religion in general, faith communities. Uh, I think you're more Christian than I am. <laughs> yeah, Easily. yeah. I I I think that that is not probably untrue. And so so yeah, the podcast was a way for me to start, you know, kind of like having conversations with people in these spaces of post-evangelicalism, post-fundamentalism that were still doing interesting things or, you know, saying stuff that I thought was important, whether it was about coming out of it or whether it was about a new type of or a different type of theology you know so we've interviewed we interviewed you know people like damon garcia who you know talk about liberation theology uh or mason meninga who you know talks about theology but we also interview people who who are not people of faith um or who have left other different uh faith traditions as well so it's a pretty wide group of people that we talk to on the show and i like you said i do it with megan crozier uh, i consider it really her podcast and i co-host it <laughs> 
she does a lot of the legwork these days. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Cortland. And thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story. And friends, thank you so much for listening. So we will catch you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on RevCovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the RevCovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the RevCovery room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com RevCovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Recovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Friends, thanks for sticking around for the quote or sometimes a poem. We do both at the end. As always, this is just a time to sort of debrief the conversation that we've had. And oftentimes, uh, Justin and I talk about how it's through quotes or poems or song lyrics that we ourselves have been able to process things. As I thought about the conversation with Cortland, I think the thing that struck me is how many people are walking around feeling as if something defines them a past um, a past identity. And so I, I thought about the the book Love in the Time of Cholera, actually. So this is a quote from that book from Gabrielle Garcia Marx. And so this is a quote that, I don't know, reminded me of Cortland and the way that Cortland has decided to move forward. He allowed himself to be swayed by his conviction that human beings are not born once and for all on the day their mothers give birth to them. But life obliges them over and over again to give birth to themselves. Friends, however it is that you have been defined in the past, may you have the courage and the boldness to go forward, giving birth to yourself again and again. Have a great week, friends. We'll catch you next week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.